Welcome to the City Church Evansville podcast. My name is Sean Little, and I'm the community and teaching pastor here at City. As we approach Good Friday and Easter Sunday, it's a perfect time to remind ourselves of what God was up to in the work and person of Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection. If we were to summarize God's activity in Jesus, it would be called the Gospel of Jesus Christ. As you guys might know, uh, today is uh, often referred to as Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday celebrates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where unbeknownst to his followers at the time, Jesus would be crucified on a Roman cross, and then, of course, three days later, he would be raised from the dead. So this week and next week, people all over the world are going to be observing Jesus' death on the cross and celebrating his resurrection from the dead. And in just a minute... We're going, to be read, we're going to read a fascinating passage regarding the cross of Christ. But before we read it, I want to tell you about an article that I came across the other day. I can't remember where I read this article. Um, a lot of different places I read. I just can't remember it. Uh, but the article was titled, Can You Buy a Better Self-Image? Okay? And the article summarizes the work of a Stanford marketing professor, along with professors from a number of other prestigious universities, in which they point out something that I think probably isn't that surprising to that many of us. And here's what they point out, that people buy stuff to compensate for issues related to their self-image. Now, does that surprise anybody here today? That people buy stuff to compensate for issues related to to their self-image. That's no big surprise. But what did fascinate me was that the, standard, uh, the Stanford professor, I think his name is pronounced Jonathan Lavav. I, I may be getting that wrong, but I think that's how you pronounce it. Lavav cautioned this. He said, giving in to a compensation impulse shouldn't always be interpreted as a bad thing. If the man who buys a sports car to boost his self-image, can afford it, and it makes him feel better about himself each time he gets in the car, why not? Now, that caught me by surprise. What he's saying is that, yeah, you can buy a better self-image, and there's nothing wrong with that. To which I would say, au contraire, Pierre, because I have some experience with this. I want to tell you about my experience with this. Uh, early in our marriage, early in my wife and I's marriage, I drove an old, beat-up Mercury Grand Marquis. Anybody know what a Grand Marquis looks like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, it's huge. It's a boat. It's, there's nothing attractive about it. I don't mean to be mean to anybody, but the only people you ever see in those cars are really, you know, they're older people. And there's nothing wrong with driving a Grand Mar- uh, Mercury Grand Marquis. There's nothing wrong with being an older person at all. It's just that at the time, I was in my 30s, and my friends made fun of my car. They called it the Pastormobile. <laughs> and so um, I didn't really care all that much about cars. I've never been a big car guy. just never has really done that much for me. 
But it finally, that particular car finally died on me. I had to buy something else. So I bought something more sporty. It wasn't a sports car necessarily, but it was more sporty than a Mercury Grand Marquis, which almost anything is more sporty than a Mercury Grand Marquis. What I bought was a used Jeep Liberty Renegade. And it was really cool. It had, it had light, running lights on it, you know, up on the top. It looked really cool. I felt like it was a great fit for me. I felt really cool in this car. And so one day I pulled up to a stoplight, and I look over to my left, and there's a guy, great big guy on a great big motorcycle, long hair, a beard, tough-looking guy. And, you know, I look over at him, and he looks over at me, and then he gives me one of these like that. And I thought that what we were both saying to one another in that was, we're both really cool. And I felt great about that, so great I went home and told my wife about it, about this exchange that I had with this guy. Now, again, I'm not trying to offend anyone, so just give me a little leeway on this. But about a week later, I was reading an article somewhere that said that the car I was driving was one of the two gayest cars in America (laughs) behind only the Volkswagen Cabriolet. I immediately wondered if I had misinterpreted what the guy on the motorcycle was trying to say. I didn't feel so great about that anymore. That's the problem with trying to build your self-image around a car. It can just change like that, can't it? My question this morning, as we look at this passage that we're going to look at in Galatians chapter 6, is just this. Isn't there anything Isn't there anything that you can attach your value as a person to that is more stable and enduring than, say, a car? Or a house? Or a purse? Or whatever compensatory purchase that you would be tempted to make. Isn't there anything more stable that you can build your sense of value and worth around? Well, with that question in mind, I want to go now to Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to start reading at verse 12. I really want to focus most of my attention today on on one particular verse in this passage. You might be able to guess which one as we go through this. But I want to start reading Galatians chapter 6, verse 12. We'll put the verse up on the screen, the passage up on the screen, if you maybe don't have a Bible. The Apostle Paul is writing. He's writing to a church in Galatia. And he says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, in other words, externally. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. And then he concludes by saying, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. Can you guess which verse I want to focus on? I don't know. Maybe you could pick it up. It's verse 14. Verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I 
to the world. Now, before we look at this particular passage, that particular verse, actually, I need to help you understand a little bit about the context. So let me, let me set the context up for you under this heading. Two different Gospels. Two different Gospels. And I want to just use that heading to help you understand the context of this passage. There was a group of false teachers who had invaded this church that the Apostle Paul had planted and had pastored and then had, uh, had, had left. A group of false teachers have invaded this church after Paul leaves. And what they were teaching would destroy this church And it would destroy these people and it would destroy their testimony to everyone around them if their teaching took hold. And I'm going to show you why. The best way that I've found to explain this is in the form of mathematical equations. Here's what the Apostle Paul taught, okay? The Apostle Paul taught this. Believe in Christ and you're saved. And as a result of being saved, Obey. That's what Paul taught. Believe in Christ and you're saved. And therefore, as a result of being saved, obey. Now notice, where is obedience in Paul's gospel? Where's it at? Well, obedience is something you do after you have been saved. Because the gospel's not the good news that you have obeyed. It's the good news that Christ has obeyed. Is your obedience important as a follower of Christ, as a person who's been saved by Christ? Sure it is, absolutely. It's just that your obedience has nothing to do with your salvation, with God's love, with God's approval of you, with your value as a person. Your obedience has nothing to do with that. Okay. So that's what Paul taught. Believe and you're saved, and then as a result, obey. Now, the the false teachers taught something very different. And I want you to notice when I put this up here that it's very subtle. In fact, it uses all of the same words that that Paul used. It's just very subtle, but man, it ends up in very different places. Here's what the false teachers taught. Believe plus obey and you're saved. You see how you see how similar it is? Just 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 the order of words, that's, that's it. All the words are the same. It's just the order of the words that's different. Okay? Can, you, can you see how easily the Galatians might confuse what the false teachers were saying about the gospel with what Paul taught about the gospel? See how easy it would be? These teachers were saying, yes, boast in the cross of Christ. Yes, believe in the cross of Christ. That's, that's important, yes. But also, you must obey if you are going to be saved. If God is going to accept you, if God is going to love you, you have to believe in the cross of Christ and you have to obey. And specifically, you can see it in this text that the obedience that they were referring to was the uniquely Jewish rite of circumcision, which God had commanded for Jewish men in the Old Testament. Now look, today... In most churches, you're not going to hear uh, much talk about circumcision as a religious rite. Okay? But you might hear people talk about, say, baptism. Or taking communion every week. Or they might state it negatively. Don't watch movies. 
Don't go to a church that has musical instruments. Any number of things like that. The idea is the very same. That you're saved because you believe in the cross and because you have been baptized or because you take communion every week or because you don't do certain things. Because you believe in Christ and follow the rules, because you believe in Christ and perform accordingly, then you're saved. See how different it is from what Paul taught? Paul taught, no, it's not about your obedience. It's about Christ's obedience. These guys are saying, no, it's about your obedience. It's about Christ's obedience too, but it's also about your obedience. And I would argue that this same false teaching has invaded many churches in America, by the way. How do you know if you've been exposed to this false teaching? False teaching. Let me show you four characteristics of this teaching that says, believe plus be baptized and you're saved. Believe plus take communion and you're saved. Believe plus don't go to movies and you're saved. Believe plus fill in the blank and you're saved. Let me tell you four characteristics of this teaching. One is pride. Pride. I'm a better Christian than you because the things that that I am to obey are merely external. That's what Paul means in verse 12 when he says, these people want to impress people by means of the flesh. In other words, they want to do it externally. It's so easy to just say, well, see, look at me. I've been baptized and you haven't. It doesn't say anything about my inner world, about my life inside. It, all it says is that on the outside, I've been baptized. Or uh, I, I've, I've, uh, I take communion every week. How often does your ta- church take com- communion? See, pride, pride. I can convince myself, because it's all external, I can convince myself that I'm better than people who haven't obeyed like I have. And so that's, what pri- that's, that's where pride comes in. I, I think I'm better. I'm more self-righteous than than other people. Here's the second characteristic. Fear. Fear. Pride and then fear. People who believe this false teaching, believe plus obey and you're saved, are consumed with fear. Why? How do I know if I've obeyed enough? What if I fail? I'm going to lose my salvation. Fear. Here's the third one. Guilt. If I haven't obeyed enough, I feel guilty And if I don't know how much obedience is enough, I always feel guilty. I constantly live with a feeling of guilt. And then besides pride and fear and guilt, here's the fourth one. Shame. Shame. If if everybody else here can follow all of these rules and I can't, well, there must be something fundamentally wrong with me. I feel shame. I would argue that those are the dominant attitudes and emotions of many Christians in churches today. Pride, fear, guilt, and shame. And I would tell you that if you experience any of those, if that's that's your uh, normal everyday experience with Christianity, I want to tell you that you have been exposed to a false gospel. No matter what you may say verbally, What you're living is a false gospel. Paul taught the Galatians, believe and you're saved. And therefore, as a result, obey. 
because of all that Christ has done for you, because of God's love for you, obey. Not because you'll lose your salvation if you don't, not because it's part of your salvation, but it's, it's because of what Christ has done for you. Go, obey. It's the best way to live. You've been given the Holy Spirit now. You've been given the capacity to obey. Now go obey. It's subtle, but it's profoundly different from the, from the false gospel that the false teachers were teaching. And Paul says in this passage that as soon as he understood that this was what the Bible was teaching, that the gospel was about what Christ did on the cross, not about Paul's obedience, not about your obedience, not about my obedience, but about Christ's obedience, he says, when that dawned on him, it revolutionized his life. He calls it in verse 14. Here's how he describes it. He says, he says, he calls it being crucified to the world. In other words, the world no longer controlled him or drove him. All of the things that the world uses to measure a person's value or their worth as a person began to mean nothing to him. Now, in his day, Paul lived in a religious culture. And in a religious culture, the things that measured a person's value were their signs of religious obedience. In our culture today, we, we live in a secular culture. It's probably not signs of religious obedience that determine, a, uh, that, that measure, people use to measure a person's value or worth. worth. It's probably more like signs of success, uh, accomplishment, power, money, those kinds of things. Paul says, no, once he understood that his value was rooted in Christ's worth and Christ's work on the cross, he says, I began to boast only in the cross of Christ. You want to know what I'm worth as a person? You want to know my value as a person? You want to know how much God loves me? It's the cross. Look at the cross on which my Savior bled and died. That's where my value is as a person. It's not because I pray more than you or give more than you or sin less than you or drive a certain car or have this particular position. Those are not the measure of my value. It's the cross and what Christ did on the cross that is the measure of my value. And that simple truth, Paul said, completely changed his life. Now, the obvious question, really, is that if boasting only in the cross can have such a powerful change, can bring about such a powerful change in a person's life, and if this is what the Bible teaches, the question is, why in the world doesn't every church teach what Paul teaches? Believe equal salvation, therefore obey. Why doesn't everybody teach that? Why, why is there this, this, this teaching that exists in so many places? Believe plus obey and you're saved. Why didn't everybody believe what Paul's teaching? And the answer is, and this is my second point this morning, the answer is because the cross is offensive. Why doesn't everybody on the planet believe this? Like, if it, if it can have such a significant impact on a person's life, why aren't, why aren't people everywhere believing the gospel? Not just, not just religious people in, in churches, but people that, that are outside of church. Why don't they believe this? The answer is, the cross is offensive. It is disturbing. It is repulsive. It is an insult to people. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. The only reason 
that these false teachers do this, he says, is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, the cross is so offensive, it is so disturbing, it is so repulsive, it is so insulting that people want to persecute people who believe that the cross of Christ is all that you need to boast in. That the cross of Christ is necessary for their salvation. That they can't boast in their goodness or in their good intentions or in their religiousness. It's offensive to people. Because the cross is saying to people, it's saying, your sins are so bad, they are so offensive to God, that the only way your sins can be paid for is by God himself in the person of Jesus dying on a Roman cross. It says to people, it says, your sins are so morally repulsive to God that you can't atone for them yourself. You can't fix them. You can't reform yourself enough. The cross, you see, the cross judges you. That's why it's so offensive. Now, you need to hear this. Do you know who struggles with this idea of the cross? Do you know who finds the cross to be offensive the most? It's the morally good people who find it to be the most offensive. Prostitutes and ex-convicts and people who've lost their reputation because of a massive moral failure of some kind, they usually don't have any problem understanding how egregious their sins are before God. They get it. They understand it. In fact, this is why the people who followed Jesus the most and the closest were, were the closest to Jesus in the New Testament we're always the outcasts of society. See, they get it. They understand. I need, I mean, I, look at me. Look at my life. It's a mess. I don't know what to do with my life. I, I've screwed it up. No, the people who struggle with the offensiveness of the cross the most are the morally good, the well thought of in the community, the religious, like these false teachers, the religious. People who go to church all the time and are generous have solid reputations in the community. Like I know, I'm, I know that what I'm about to say is painting with a broad brush, but many of those people would align themselves with politically conservative causes. Like they're conservative people. They have good reputations in the community. But the cross says to these people, it says your church attendance, your generosity... In the case of these false teachers, your circumcision, today in our culture, maybe it's your baptism, I don't know, whatever. These things are, the prophet Isaiah said, filthy rags before God. If that's what you're trying to do to earn your salvation, if you think that those things somehow impress God enough to cause Him to accept you, to, to, to be saved, you're drastically wrong. Look at verse 13. Paul says, not even those who are circumcised keep the law. In other words, words, they're doing something external, but they're not 100% keeping the law. They still don't love people the way they're supposed to love people. They still don't love God the way that they're supposed to love God. Everybody breaks the law in some way. 
Even if you've got some big external sign that you're obeying the law, there's still other stuff that you're not obeying. All of that, Paul says, all of this external stuff, that's just smoke and mirrors. You're so sinful, in fact, that Christ didn't have to just come and pay a little fine for you. No, your sins were all capital offenses. And there was no other way God could have saved you other than his son dying on the cross for you. If there were any other way, like if Christ could have done it any other way, if you could have done it any other way, Christ wouldn't have died on the cross for you. That's an insult to someone who has convinced themselves that they're a pretty good person who really doesn't need to boast in the cross of Christ. It's an insult. This past week, I read an article somewhere. I, I, again, I'm sorry. I can't remember where. Uh, it was like something I just read real quick. It might have been on my Twitter scroll uh, somewhere. But it was about a guy who uh, was on a boat with his girlfriend. And for some reason, he just says to her, I want to show you how much I love you. And so he jumped in. He jumped off the boat, jumped in the water, ended up drowning. It wasn't because, like, the boat was sinking uh, it wasn't because like it was you know some situation where it was him or her. No, everything was fine. Now, what do you think about that guy? If you were that girl, what would you have thought? You'd have thought you know if, if he would have told you you know on the front end, I'm going to jump in the water, uh, I'm going to jump off this boat just to show you I love you. What would you have said to him? Well, you would have said, dude, come on, you don't have to do that. Just buy me some flowers. Or take me to dinner. Go for a walk with me. We'll talk. That's fine. You don't need to. You don't need to kill yourself to show me that you love me. The cross says to people, the cross says to people, listen, if there were any other way, if your moral effort, if your goodness, if your performance, if your good intentions, if those were enough to pay for your sins, Christ wouldn't have died for you. You'd have been an idiot to do so. He would have said to you, go, practice good deeds, be religious. But he didn't. He didn't say, go, be circumcised, go, be baptized, go. He didn't say those things. If any of those could save a person, Christ wouldn't have died for you. If there were another religion that you could be a part of that, wasn't enough to pay, that was enough to pay for your sins, Christ would have said, go be part of that religion. He wouldn't have died for you. The reason he died for you is that he wanted to show you his love for you, but only because there was no other way. Your sins are that bad, and so are mine. And that means that only through the cross can anybody come to the Father. And oh my goodness, that is so offensive to people. It was offensive to me when I first heard it. If you don't think it's offensive, I dare you to stand up in your workplace and just shout. The only way to have eternal life is to trust in Jesus Christ. See what happens. Go down to USI, stand in the middle of the student center somewhere and just holler, just say, just say, the only way to eternal life is through Jesus and see what happens. You'll see how offensive that is to people. 
People would much rather hear that they can do enough, that their good intentions and that their religiousness and that their earnestness can get them God's approval. They would rather boast in themselves than have to hear that the brutality and the primitiveness of a Roman cross was the only way that their sins could be paid for. They'd much rather hear that, that they're good enough, than they would hear about a cross. But I want to tell you something. They pay a price for that. By not accepting the offense of the cross, oh, they pay a price for that. And that leads me to my last point this morning. If you can accept the offensiveness of the cross, if you can accept the teaching of the cross rather than rejecting it because of its judgment upon you, if you can learn to boast only in the cross, not in yourself, you will find that there is freedom through the cross. There is freedom through the cross. Look at what Paul says in verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then skip down to verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. What rule? Of accepting the offense of the cross and boasting in it and it only. Now, you might, you might wonder, okay, well, how is there freedom through the cross? Well, let me just take you back to the article that I started this morning with about buying a, a better self-image and the Stanford professor who said, look, you know, if a car makes you feel better about yourself uh, or anything else that you could buy, go ahead and do it. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, yes, there is something wrong with that. None of those things are permanent. Your sense of worth will always fluctuate as a person. Your worth will never really be resolved because you're boasting in temporal things. A car, a purse, a house, a swimming pool, a country club membership, whatever. Nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just that if you boast in them, if those define your value as a person, you will always find yourself fluctuating in terms of your worth. You'll always be looking to someone or something for validation. But here's the freedom. For people who boast in the cross, they derive their sense of value from the cross of Jesus Christ. If you boast in the cross alone, you're freed from having to constantly perform and constantly prove your worth, and constantly uh, buy something better and nicer than the Joneses. You can say, I didn't get the promotion, or I lost the tennis game, or my grades weren't as good as someone else's, but I have God's love. I'm valued. God accepts me because Jesus bought that through the cross for me. And there's freedom in this. You can't buy. You can't buy your value. You can't buy salvation, but Christ can buy it. He's the only one who can buy it. And there's freedom in this. Your attitude toward wealth and power and reputation and belonging to the right clubs and owning the right stuff, your attitude toward all of that changes. Like it might be nice to have, you would say to yourself, but you realize it's not necessary to have. You don't have to have that to believe that you're valued, that you're worthy. You don't have to have that stuff. It's not necessary to have it. 
And if you do have it, you don't have to hoard it. You can use all of that to bring mercy into other people's lives. You can give to other people with that stuff. You can use your gifts and your talents and abilities to show mercy to other people. There's freedom, you see, through the cross. What does it mean to boast in the cross? People who boast in the cross are caught up in the wonder of the cross. They think about it like all the time. They apply it to every situation in their life. They see how all of the most important contradictions of life find resolution in the cross. That something so brutal and so ugly as the cross can become beautiful. They see that on the cross, God's justice and God's mercy kissed. That on the cross, thorns can become a crown. Defeat can become victory. Weakness can become strength. Death can become life. And as a result, they boast in the cross and the cross alone. To boast in the cross means, yes, I'm caught up in the wonder of it, but also I recognize that that defines my value as a person. Nothing external does. No performance, no car, no, no baptism, nothing like that defines my value. Only the cross does that. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. But before I do, what do you do with all this? As you walk away here on Palm Sunday, What do you do with this stuff? Well, let me speak first to those of you who have accepted the offense of the cross and have believed in Jesus Christ. I would argue that many of you still live in fear and guilt and shame. You're not boasting in the cross. You're basing your acceptance before God on your obedience and your performance. That is the false gospel of the false teachers in this passage. Believe plus obey equals your salvation. No matter what you proclaim verbally, it is that false gospel that you are living and you're suffering for it. And you know what else? Those around you are suffering for it. You know why? Because they're not seeing the good news of the peace of the gospel in you. And I'll tell you something else. They probably aren't experiencing mercy from you either. Do you know why? Because people who constantly live with fear and guilt and shame, they want everybody else to live in fear and guilt and shame. And so they're always judging everybody. They're always critical of everybody because they're critical of themselves all the time too. You need begin to boast in the cross only, not in the quality of your performance. When you fail, when you sin, those of you who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you sin, you boast in the cross. And when you obey, you don't boast in your obedience. You boast in the cross because your obedience has nothing to do with your acceptance before God. And your disobedience doesn't disqualify you from acceptance before God. You boast in the cross. When you have sinned by using pornography and you feel guilt and shame, boast in the cross. 
When you've sinned by causing your marriage to end in divorce and you suddenly feel guilt and shame about that, boast in the cross that your disobedience does not invalidate you from God's love and acceptance. When you've sinned by destroying a friendship with your gossip, when you feel guilt and shame about that, boast in the cross. Does it offend you that I would say that? Like, does that shock you that I would say that? Are you appalled by that? That's the appalling nature of the cross. You're being offended by the cross. When I say your acceptance by God has nothing to do with your performance, your obedience or your disobedience, that's offensive to many people. Listen to me, though. No one will ever experience freedom from any sin, whether it's pornography or gossip, adultery, anything else. No one will ever experience freedom from any of those things if you wallow in shame and guilt. Only boasting in the cross will give you freedom from any kind of addictive behavior. Only boasting in the cross. And when you experience victory over pornography, or when you give sacrificially and generously to a cause you care about, or when you spend time in prayer before the day begins, you boast only in the cross not in those things. It's not that obedience isn't important. Of course it is. But it has nothing to do with God's acceptance and love of you and your value as a person. Listen to me. If you don't believe in me, I want you to, excuse excuse me, if you don't believe me, listen to what the great theologian of the 18th century, a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, says about this. Listen to this. This is fascinating. In fact, we're going to put it up on the screen. He says, when some person is awakened to his obligation before God. He immediately flies to his duties and his performances to hide himself from God, and he goes to patch up a righteousness of his own. Says he, I will be mighty good now. I'll reform. I will do all I can, and then certainly God will have mercy on me. But he says, before you can speak peace to your heart, You must be brought to see that God may damn you for the best prayer you ever put up. You must be brought to see that all of your duties, all of your righteousness, put them all together. They are so far from recommending you to God, are so far from being any motive inducement to God to have mercy on your poor soul, that he will see them to be filthy rags. You must boast only in the cross. When you fail, when you Obey, boast only in the cross of Christ. That's what will give you freedom. That's what will give you peace. That's what will give you mercy. Mercy to be able to show to other people. Finally, for those of you who have never accepted the offense of the cross, you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you will never experience peace until you do. You will always be depending upon other people and other things to validate you all of your life. Let me say it this way. You'll never be free for the world until you're free from the world. And today, in the privacy of your seat, it's time. Accept the offense of the cross and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is freedom. There is life. There is salvation on the other end of belief and belief in Christ only. Would you bow your heads with me?
This is too much for us to take in, Lord. Uh, This is too good. This is not the way the world works in any way, shape, or form. Everything in the world tells us that our value is only based in how much we obey the principles of the world or obey the principles of our religion. But you tell us that our worth and value as people is based only in our belief in you and the cross of the Christ. Let us be a church that boasts only in the cross of Christ. Lord, for those that are here today that have believed in Christ, let them boast in the cross of Christ. For those that are here today that have never believed in Christ, Lord, bring them to a place that they can say, yeah, I know, I'm a sinner, and nothing, can, nothing other than the cross of Christ can pay for my sins. Let them come to that place. And, and, and Lord, bring them to a moment where they just where they say, Lord, be my Savior. Be my Savior. Lord, we thank you so much for this truth. Were it not for this truth, we would all be lost in our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We worship you and you alone today. It's in your name that we pray. The good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for men and women is the good news of the gospel. There's one true gospel, and if you were to put it in an equation, it would read like this. Believe equals salvation. As opposed to all of religion, which puts forth an equation of believe plus obey equals salvation. Jesus' perfect obedience to the point of death on a cross is who and what we believe in to be saved. And this is good news indeed. If you've been considering joining us, this coming Easter weekend will be a great time. We have our first ever Good Friday service this coming Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. And we'll host Easter Sunday services at both 9.15 and 11 a.m. here at 314 Market Street in downtown Evansville. 